For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What's going on, everybody? We're back with another edition of The Breakdown. I'm your host, Jason Karras, assistant basketball coach at Stonehill College. I'm joined today by our two guests, as always, Jamie Shaw, who recently just joined On3 Sports as their national recruiting analyst and is also the author of one of the top uh, scouting reports in the country, as well as Coach Scott Spinelli, most recently served as the interim head coach at Boston College, where he recruited uh, Jerome Robinson, first ever lottery pick out of BC, Kai Bowman, NBA player, and then going back to his days at Maryland, recruiting NBA players Jake Lehman and Alex Len, and even back again at Texas A&M, he actually recruited Chris Middleton. They also experienced the best four-year win total in Texas A&M history. So a college basketball legend, we're lucky to have these two guests and their basketball expertise as we take a look at the ACC tournament bracket and get going on this breakdown. Guys, how are we doing today? Excellent, Jason. Nice seeing you. You and uh, Jamie, it's been quite a while uh, since we've seen one another, but uh, all is well here and uh, you know, great to be connected to you guys again. Yeah, thanks. Super excited to be back. This was a great opportunity that uh, Scott and I were able to do early in the season. Um, since then, obviously taking a job on three, uh, preventing me from being more hands-on uh, with this podcast, but able, uh, very excited national recruiting analyst at on three, being able to come back here and, uh, you know, guest uh, on talking about some basketball. Always good. Always good when March Madness is right around the corner. Well, we spent the preseason going through each ACC team, uh, breaking down what their offense does, defense does, who their personnel is. Um, and what we thought they'd do this season. We've made it through uh, the whole season. Conference is just ending. Uh, coming up on the ACC tournament, uh, Duke came out on top this year, uh, number one seed. Uh, what, are you guys, what are you guys thinking uh, for the ACC tournament? Obviously, Duke's had a tremendous season, right? Um, but, you know, one of the things that I think is really um, misunderstood uh, by a lot of people – um, based on the fact that when a team has uh, an enormous amount of talent, um, you know, there's this expectation that they're going to just put it all together and win. And, you know, Coach K and his staff, what they've been able to do this year, year in and year out, um, by taking kids, young kids, who are all, for the most part, five-star guys, some of these kids are slated to be at the next level in the NBA, and develop them into a team where they accept roles. Um, you know, there's a camaraderie. Um, they're not all caught up in their own individual numbers um, and how they get those guys to believe in each other, um, how they take the mindset of winning as opposed to just uh, doing their own thing is really not as easy as I think some people think it to be. And so you got to tip your hat once again to Coach K and his staff for the job they've done, uh, not only you know recruiting some top-notch, talented kids, but also blending them and meshing them in together 
and uh, having a, another sensational season as the number one seed by winning the regular season conference here in the ACC. Yeah, no doubt. They, they definitely have a ton of talent on that roster, as you can see. The two things that are interesting about the talent they have is it's super young. Um, you know, Trevor Kills is, you know, eight, 12 months older than kids that are in his class. A.J. Griffin and Trevor Kills will both be um, only 18 years old on draft night when they hear their names called possibly in the first round of draft and all that type of stuff too. So even for young players as freshmen, they're young um, as well. And, you know, their, their point guard play has been very spotty kind of this whole season. So the fact that he's able to get out of what he's been able to get out of them with some, some holes and some glaring weaknesses and stuff on the roster has been very um, impressive for you know, for the program to come out number one now, you know, the ACC is a little bit down and all that this year, um, as we can see, but they have to go out and win their games. Curious about the point guard play. Also curious about um, the depth. They don't have a ton of depth on the roster playing probably six or seven guys throughout the majority of most of the games. Also, they will have probably the most talented guy on most floors that they walk on with Paolo Banchero. Um, they will have a litany of first round draft picks as well behind Paolo. They'll have an ACC Wendell Moore will be first or second team all ACC uh, most likely. And he's also the guy that doubles down as a, their small forward, also doubles down as possibly their point guard for the majority of, of the possessions. So it's an interesting roster. There's a ton of talent on it. Um, can they get the depth? Can they get the uh, continuity uh, within the flow uh, will be the major questions moving forward. Duke with the star-studded roster will be playing March 10th. They got the double bye with the one seed. Another interesting point from earlier this season when we uh, when we went through all these ACC teams, you guys called that Notre Dame and Miami um, would be two of the biggest sleeper teams in the ACC. Uh, they finished second and fourth, respectively. What did you see during the preseason, uh, both of you, that, that made you think, all right, these guys, these guys could do something better than they were picked in the preseason? Well, I think anytime uh, as a coach who has been in this profession for quite a long time, uh, you kind of understand year in and year out, your objective is to try to build your program within and to try to get old, try to get old in terms of experience, um, established roles, uh, kids who have been around the program, um, something that really you don't see as often now with the transfer portal and with guys declaring for the draft so early. Um, both these two teams um, were teams coming into the conference that had, they did have some kids who were transfers, uh, transfer portal guys who they sprinkled in. But for the most part, their core guys have got guys that have been around there uh, three, two, three, four, five, sometimes even six years. Um, and so um, I think in both cases, let's start with Miami. You know, you talk about that guard core that we talked about prior to the season with, um, you know, with McGusty and, um, you know, obviously they added Charlie Moore, but they had Wardenberg as a kid that's been around there for quite a long time. Um, and, you know, again, I, I think that they, their guard core was so experienced that, you know, I, I think coming into the season, we felt that that was going to be a huge advantage uh, for them. Uh, and when you look at teams like Virginia, who lost their entire front court to the NBA, um, you know, three guys, that's, that's a huge loss. Uh, and, and obviously, Virginia still had a, a good season considering. But 
uh, in Miami's case, um, I think, and obviously we talk about Wong too. I mean, God, you know, Wong's had a tremendous year. He's been around for a while. So uh, you got to tip your hat to Coach Laranega and his staff for keeping those guys within, developing them, um, meshing them together. And they sprinkled in Charlie Moore, who's had a fantastic year. And Notre Dame, same type of situation. Um, basically, they've had, you know, Prentice Hub's been around for a while. Um, you know, they've had, you know, Goodwin's been there. Um, you know, I know Cormac Ryan trans, but he's been there now a few years. Uh, it was his third year there. And I think, again, you know, you look at their roster, they did sprinkle in uh, the, the transfer from Yale, who's had a good year. Um, but the, the biggest surprise for them, and I think for all of us, has been the play, uh, you know, of their freshman, Blake Wesley, who was a surprise player. Uh, you know, we knew that he had a tremendous first step. We knew he was going to add another mention with athleticism and versatility. Uh, but I don't think any of us uh, saw the impact that he was going to have on both ends of the floor uh, and could do what he can do um, offensively from all three levels. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head with that. They have, they're old and they have great guard play, shot making and old um, is a good combination when it comes to basketball. Miami was very interesting in that they a lot of times had four guys, four guards on the floor at one, uh, you know, at the same time with Sam Wardenberg, um, sprint, you know, trickled in there um, as, as the fifth guy. And both of these teams, too, they played their lead people heavy minutes. But having four or five guys all on the floor who can shoot the ball and having four of those five who can create opportunities and everything – um, as you said, Scott, Blake Wesley had an unbelievable season this year uh, for Notre Dame. Um, shot creation, the athleticism, the length and everything. Prentice Hub making shots. Paul Atkinson coming in uh, from the Ivy League making plays. Nate Lashevsky, Cormac Ryan. I mean, all these guys, they're old, they're experienced, they're tough, and they can shoot the ball. Um, you know, you got some playmaking coming in um, on both of them as well. And that's just a good mix, a good match for having a lot of success um, throughout the course of a season. Um, you know, the battle-tested guys, but also um, in, you know, in postseason play uh, moving forward. One thing to add about Blake Wesley, and I think this is something that, Jamie, you would probably uh, agree with. You know, this year, uh, being on the road like you have, and I've been, uh, been able to see a lot of kids, um, you know, there's a lot of sleepers out there, diamonds in the rough. And, you know, Blake Wesley is someone that, you know, I had seen before. Uh, it was really hard um, to see him live, you know, the, that, that junior summer um, because of the lack of uh, tournaments and exposure. And I think there's a lot of kids right now, and I'm not saying that they're all of that caliber, but they're are a lot of players throughout the country throughout the world for that matter that are guys that you just haven't seen who have developed late um and so i think we're a lot of times everyone's kind of waiting for this transfer portal and rightfully so uh, you want experience i get it but i will say this year more than any other year that i've been in the college coaching ranks um i can tell you right now i've got a primary recruiting list together of diamonds in the rough uh, at you know multiple positions who are all kids who are under the radar, haven't been recruited, haven't even been seen in most cases. Um, and I think moving forward, we're gonna see guys, Jamie, like Blake, Blake, Wesley, Blake Wesley in terms of the impact he had uh, at Notre Dame uh, on, a lot of, on some of these other high major, mid-major, low-major teams uh, next year as freshmen. 
Without without question. And I think the thing with uh, Wesley too is, you know, he kind of went to the perfect spot where he could come in and his skill set was was used immediately. We had questions in the early season. While we knew um, that Notre Dame was going to be good, they had the shot making, the experience and everything, we, we weren't quite certain about their ability to kind of touch the paint and make a play, create off the balance in the half court and everything. Um, well, Blake Wesley came in with that. So he was a perfect, you know, his success may not have translated had he gone to a different school. He just went to a perfect fit um, where what he was able to do was exacerbated uh, within the flow of the offense and everything. Um, and to your point as well, you're 100% correct. This now, COVID has prevented a lot of people from being seen. COVID has prevented a lot of people from going out. Obviously, all three of us here, um, you know, y'all two are both coaches. Y'all two are both on the road. I'm, I'm scouting. I'm with On3 doing their national recruiting and stuff going every weekend. Um, looking at players and everything, there aren't many coaches that are able to be in the gym right now. And there's nothing that beats live scouting a player. There's nothing you can get on a film or anything that beats live scouting a player. So us being in gym, seeing this type of stuff, there's going to be a lot of kids that fly underneath the radar um, throughout the duration. Also with the transfer portal, guys getting fifth years and, and you know, the, the, the Blake Wesley situation, he's not somebody that I was actually familiar with um, coming in. I hadn't seen him. He, he, he's a South Bend kid that committed to Notre Dame. Um, I didn't see him a lot. Uh, I didn't make it a point to see him on the circuit or anything. I didn't have a lot coming into him, maybe one or two viewings of him um, coming in. And, and this has blown us away um, with the amount he played. But I think that's a great point that you made there, Scott. Diving into the tournament here, our first matchup of the ACC tournament is Pitt versus BC, two defensive-minded teams. Uh, Jamie, what, what do you think Pitt's going to need to do to pull out this win? Um, I, I think it's going to have to be um, Jamarius Burton's going to have to make plays, and I think uh, John Hughley uh, is going to have to establish his presence down low. Uh, Hughley's a, a big, strong presence um, in the paint, soft touch. He can go both ways with it. If they can slow the game down and get paint touches uh, with Hughley and then have Burton and the guards, Femio de Kale, make just enough plays to make shots, um, you know, I think that they have a chance to, um, to, to, to make something happen here. Gotcha. And Coach, you're familiar with BC. What's your take on this game? Well, I, I, first of all, I think it's a, it's a, it's a good matchup, right? Um, you know, Pittsburgh has shown flashes this year that, you know, they, they can beat anybody. I mean, that when they had, you know, at Carolina convincing win um, has shown that Pitt is a very capable team uh, to your point, Jamie, I think, you know, again, consistency, I mean, Hughley and, and uh, Hughley and Burton have to be on, uh, they just don't have a lot of depth. But again, when you when you think Pitt, you think Coach Capel and his staff, you think a defensive-minded, tough, hard-nosed team. And you know Boston College uh, with Coach Grant and, and what he's trying to instill there, um, you know, gritty, not pretty type style. You got two teams that kind of want to mirror one another in terms of getting after it um, defensively, pressuring the basketball. Um, tremendous help, one pass away, two passes away. Uh, they don't give a lot in transition. They send multiple guys back. So I think you're looking at two teams that mirror one another. And look, I think both both teams are capable uh, in this matchup of, of moving on. And it's going to be an, it's going to be a really competitive game, a good game that they split during the course of the season. Um, you know, again, I think it's uh, it, it, it's going to be one of those games. that's going to be really tight. And, uh, you know, I, I, it's probably too close to call in terms of that first matchup between these two teams got two defensive minded teams on the offensive side of the ball for bc makai ashton langford leads the team in points and assists 
you recruited him to BC coach. What can you tell us about his ability with the ball um, and his leadership, his veteran leadership? Well, I think, uh, you know, Makai um, has had a tremendous season. Uh, first of all, I think he's really led by example. He's accepted the coaching um, that coach Grant and his staff um, have implemented. Um, and he's been kind of the, you know, the head of the snake per se, in terms of, um, him being somebody that's led by example on both ends of the floor. With Makai, you have a high character kid from a tremendous family, um, a young man that's kind of was highly touted um, and, you know, had, had moved around a little bit, obviously started his career at Providence, ended up at BC. Um, but I think he had a really, really big impact um, this year on both ends of the floor. And, you know, he's been scoring the ball from all three levels um, he looks very comfortable out there, making his teammates better. Um, he takes the challenge on at trying to defend the opposition's best player. Um, he's always been known as an elite level finisher with either hand around the basket, athletic long. Um, so again, for, for as a coach, when you recruit these kids, you know, it's not just about when you coach them, right? I mean, it's the relationship um, and you're really rooting for these kids to succeed. Um, you know, both on the court and in the classroom. And, you know, I, I think for us, I, I mean, for me, I, I couldn't be more proud of what Makai's done this year um, and how he's made uh, a huge impact uh, in Boston College and what Coach Grant is trying to establish uh, in his program. Now, the winner of that BC Pitt matchup gets Wake Forest. What, what do you guys make of Wake Forest's success this year? I love Wake Forest is one of my favorite teams to watch play. Um, the emergence of their two transfers with uh, Jake LaRavia, Alondis Williams, um, is, um, has been very good for them. It's very unique because they're both incredible passers. Uh, both players, they use LaRavia 6'9", uh, Alondis Williams 6'5". They both use them to initiate the offense. Um, so where the question mark might have been is the point guard position and all that to start the year off with, um, they've been able to slide with their three and four guy being able to initiate the offense. And then you have uh, Dallas Walton, protecting the rim. You have a deep side, able to score the ball um, close to the basket. Isaiah Mucius has made a lot of shots. He's been, he's, he's kind of been a catch and shoot guy uh, this whole year, but at six foot eight, you know, that spreads the floor, gets in the passing lanes. Um, Davion Williamson, uh, another guy that's probably a point guard size, um, but has been making shots uh, for them. Uh, this Wake Forest team is really good. They're playing with a lot of fire, a lot of passion. Um, they're taking after their, their coach at the top. Um, uh, Forbes, who's just, you know, just a fiery, uh, fiery guy to begin with. Um, but they're playing tough and they're, and they're playing um, motivated. You know, that's a very fun team to watch. Yeah, just to, you know, kind of uh, add to that, uh, Jamie, I mean, Coach Forbes and what he's been able to uh, establish um, at Wake Forest in his second year is, you know, you've got to tip your hat to him and his staff. Um, you know, these kids believe that they're going to win, um, you know, every night that they're playing. And, you know, that's hard to, to really get across to a team that's, you know, they had some good years previous, but not, you know, consistently. And so um, the other side of this, and this is where the debate comes in, the transfer portal, um, as opposed to building within in terms of your program, uh, you know, you, Wake has done an unbelievable job at evaluating the two players that you just mentioned uh, in Alondis Williams and uh, Jake LaRavia as it relates to system fits, two guys that have come in, made a huge impact. 
Um, and for me personally, Alondis Williams is special. And, and I'm going to say this. I very rarely have seen a kid come in. I, I don't think I've ever seen this where a young man has come into a program um, where he's made such an impact on both ends of the floor. He's actually, at one point, he was leading the ACC in scoring and in assist. Um, and for him to come in and to be able to kind of um, be able to assume that role of being so efficient in scoring the basketball, at the same time making his teammates better, um, and being someone whose energy and toughness has become infectious amongst everybody. And then obviously you've seen LaRavia and his skill set to your point, Jamie, he's a matchup nightmare. Um, you know, those two guys came in as transfers. And oftentimes when we think transfers, especially 50 transfers or older transfers, oftentimes you think that they're going to come in and really look to get theirs, right? Or they're going to look to come in and try to make a huge impact uh, as it relates to statistics. And both these two guys uh, are the exact opposite. Although they're putting up great numbers, they're about winning. And so again, tremendous evaluations by Coach Forbes and his staff. And um, again, I believe Alondis Williams to be special. I, I really think he's got a chance to play for a long, long time. I agree. I think another thing too with Alondis Scott that's really been impressive is his ability to close games. Um, his second half performances, I, I, would, I, I don't know this number, but I would be willing to put it up against anybody's in the, in the country, both in efficiency and production in the second half of ball games um, in, in closing time. That Wake Forest team is going to be a tough one to beat. So the winner of that first Pitt-BC matchup will play Wake Forest in the second round. Going back to those first round games, we got Clemson versus NC State next. Uh, Clemson has won their last four games in a row. Uh, what do you guys think about this matchup? Yeah, Clemson's, Clemson's been hot recently, and, and the unique part about them being hot is it's been, for the most part, without P.J. Hall. Um, you know, P.J. Hall went down. He's been out for the last few games. Um, coming back now, I think the last game that they played against Virginia Tech in that, in that win um, was his first game back. He played 14 minutes off the bench for him. Um, but Clemson's kind of gathered, gathered the troops. I'm sure that they're feeling a little bit of pressure on the hot seat. Um, I'm sure that they understood where they what they need to do in order to, to, to you know, stay around and, and do all that. And um, they've, they've done a great job of it, winning out, making a little run in the tournament um, and, and everything only um, makes things positive. Um, so you have leadership from Hunter Tyson. Uh, you, you have guard play, David Collins, um, you know, guys uh, making shots. But Brad Brownell is a tough, gritty guy. He up from the top. He builds up players. Uh, he takes in players. Uh, he recruits players that might not necessarily be deemed good enough, builds them up into ACC caliber players, and he implores his style of basketball with them, um, you know, with their skill sets, with what they have. They're a tough, gritty team. They'll defend just like we talked about earlier uh, with both Pittsburgh and Boston College, um, and, and they're good after you, and they'll make just enough plays um, in order to make it tough. NC State has been um, – it's been tough for NC State this year. Um, they uh, they don't have they don't have an ACC they don't have a lot of ACC talent on their roster. Um, they, they they have a lot of um, not not a lot of continuity within their offense. Um, they're not able to get stops on defense. Um, and when you have uh, a little plan on offense and you can't get stops on defense, you can't protect the rim uh, with your bigs. Manny Bates getting hurt at the beginning of the year. It makes for a tough season. And they are. Um, I believe in last place right now in the ACC. Um, not a surprise necessarily. Um, they've had a, a, a miniature bright spot with freshman 
Traquavion Smith getting tons of tons of points, uh, tons of looks, tons of opportunities, tons of shots up, um, and he's made some of them too, um, albeit not necessarily at an efficient clip. Um, and then uh, what Darion Sebron started off with at the beginning of the season has kind of tapered down a little bit toward the end of the season as people start to figure him out and stuff. Um, so they're kind of limping into the the postseason. Um, they got a good draw first round with Clemson. Um, that's the team that they could possibly play with if they get going on offense. Um, but it's uh, not looking too bright right now for NC State. Well, that's, that matchup, Clemson-NC State, is another intriguing matchup. Um, to your point, Jamie, Clemson is has – they've won four straight. They're playing very well right now. Um, you know, one of the things that you really have to respect about Coach Brunell um, and his staff – um, you know, really not ever getting too high or low. I, th I think that's one of the keys uh, as a coach, uh, especially at the high major levels. You know, when I've, I've been in this uh, BC, I've been in these BCS leagues or these power five conferences for so long. Um, and you really learn not to get too high on, on a win and not to get too low on a loss or a couple losses. And I think coach Brownell has shown that. Um, you know, year in and year out since he's been at Cle Clemson. Um, he is a tough-minded guy. His teams do take on his personality. They're blue-collar. They work hard. Um, they're exceptionally well-coached, especially on the defensive end of the floor. They don't give anything easy. They send multiple guys back in transition, so it's hard to get easy baskets. Um, they contest every shot, top foot, high hand, and they're very, very physical. Um, so, again, they are coming in with a lot of confidence. Dawes is played exceptionally well uh, as of late uh, also and um, so they're going to be a tough out here uh, in the conference tournament and you know you got to feel for NC State a little bit right um, you know losing base uh, you know, again going back to that radio interview that we did um, anytime you lose somebody like that um, somebody who is a natural a true rim protector um, who really kind of makes up for you know, as you mentioned, Jamie, um, you know, some of the you know, Jaquavion and some of the younger guys defensively, that's always an adjustment, right? But to have Bates back there at the rim, where not only is he blocking shots, he's changing shots and his presence is felt, um, it really um, makes up for a lot of the mistakes that certain guys will make, especially younger guys on the defensive end of the floor. And I think that's where NC State has really been hurt this year. Um, again, I think Bates is that much of a presence, and I think not having him um, has really hurt NC State. Um, and again, it's like anything else. You start losing you know, a couple games or a few games in a row, and all of a sudden now the younger kids – um, you know, they don't, you know, you're trying to teach them how to win. Um, so it kind of snowballs into, you know, losing multiple games, but you, you got to feel for coach Keats and his staff, uh, because I do feel like Bates was that big of an impact guy for them. And, um, but this is going to be another dogfight to your point, Jamie. I mean, look, you know, between Clemson and NC state, just like the Pittsburgh BC matchup, these are games are too close to call in this first round. Another interesting part about Clemson, too, is they got tw they got seven guys who are averaging 20-plus minutes a game, and they have two more that are averaging between, uh, you know, 12 and 15 minutes a game. Uh, three of their starters, uh, when it comes to Alamir Dahls, David Collins, Hunter Tyson, they're all average, they're all shooting 38% or more from three. Um, you know, typical Brad Brownell teams in the past, you, you question their offense and how they're going to manufacture some stuff. Well, this team has depth, and they have shot-making with them having gone through stretches without P.J. Hall, with them having gone through stretches without Hunter Tyson, 
the other guys, the younger guys, the transfers have had a time to come in and kind of groom themselves and going into this tournament with everybody healthy. Um, you know, Clemson might be a sneaky – I'm not saying they're going to win it all, but they might be able to win a game that they're not supposed to um, in this tournament with how everything's kind of coming together. The winner of that Clemson-NC State matchup is going to run into Virginia Tech, the seventh seed, uh, the number one three-point shooting percentage team in the ACC. Um, what do you like that they've done this year? Well, Virginia Tech, again, is another team in the ACC that's very capable, right? Uh, you know, they've been so close in some of these games. Um, you know, they've won some big games. Also, uh, they won at Miami. I mean, they, they've, they were right there at Duke, had a chance to win that game. Um, so they're a team that could beat anybody in the ACC. Um, you know, again, oftentimes, as you know, um, you guys know this, Jason, you're, you know, you've been in this for a while, Jamie, you've seen this. As a coach, a lot of times your season is defined by whether you win or lose close games. And, you know, Virginia Tech has been right there. They've just haven't, they've kind of been snake bit a little bit in some of these close games. Um, but again, they're another formidable opponent, a team that had, we talked about Aluma being uh, the preseason player of the year in the ACC. So uh, again, Virginia Tech with him and Mutz have two guys who are experienced um, that, you know, could propose problems for anybody in this ACC tournament. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head there, Jason, with their ability to shoot the ball. That's going to be what keeps them in a lot of games. Um, the, the question mark is going to be, can they get stops? Um, can they get opportune stops when it matters? Can they stop at the point of attack? You know, can their guards um, stay in front of the ball and stuff? But they've won nine out of their last 11 games uh, coming into this ACC tournament. They, they figured it out, you know, with Storm Murphy coming in as a fifth-year transfer and then, uh, you know, KV Aluma coming back as, you know, the, the, the fifth-year player, Justin Mutz, uh, Hunter Couture, and, and Naheem Aleen and all those guys. They have very unique – they have a very unique roster that you look at and, you know, it's almost like a ragtag group of guys. That it's like, how is this guy you – know, then they come back and they've won nine of their last 11 games in the ACC play um, coming into this tournament on a high coming into this tournament, very confident in what they're able to do, um, you know, but they're also a team too, as to where you can see them making a run possibly to the conference finals in this event. You can also see them losing in the first round, their first game. Uh, and, and this, it just depends on what happens and what comes out because, you know, this is the ACC and there's that much parity, I think within the conference right now, um, it's all going to depend on draws and matchups uh, moving forward, especially, you know, the top probably three-fourths, top half of this uh, of the conference. And moving on to our final first-round matchup, Louisville versus Georgia Tech. Uh, Mike Pegues takes over uh, the Louisville team partway through the season. Um, coach, last year at BC, you had that experience as um, interim head coach of that team. Um, what are the challenges he's facing? What do you think? Um, about this matchup first round of the playoffs well anytime you take over on an interim basis as a head coach your role changes your voice changes um and you know there are a lot of question marks that automatically come up um with probably the most important part of this of everybody's team and that is the players right so what happens is and it's really tough because when Coach Pegues takes over, right off the bat, there's this social media, media um, speculation on, you know, okay, now that Coach Mack's not there, Coach B, uh, Pegues is the interim head coach, um, let's start speculating on who the permanent replacement's going to be. And it's really challenging to keep your players focused 
on the next game, the next practice, the next game on winning, um, assuming their role, because um, again, as we both, as we all know in recruiting, um, you know, the kids are obviously hearing so many different things between their own families, coaches, uh, you know, obviously the media. And so that's one of the most challenging things as an interim head coach is to try to keep your guys focused at the task at hand, believing that there's still an opportunity here uh, to get better, um, to win some games um, and, to, and to advance. And look, um, I can't even tell you from, you know, when I first took over at Boston College, um, you know, we had the COVID outbreak and we had a, you know, it, that was even more challenging, right? In terms of having to deal, um, you know, with half your team out during all of this time. But um, it is also an exciting time. Um, and it's not something that, you know, none of us as assistant coaches want to have happen in terms of taking over, um, you know, for your head coach that brought you there. And, you know, I'm still very close to my former boss and I'm sure Mike Pegues is too. So even through a win, when we beat Notre Dame that first game, it's bittersweet, right? You get a win, but it's more for the players. Uh, but then you take a, you know, a step back and, you know, you, you know, you feel bad, um, you know, for your boss too. So there's a lot of emotions that go into being an interim head coach. And I think coach Pegues has done a really nice job um, at, you know, holding it together, making sure the kids are representing the university, um, you know, well with practice and games, um, they're competing hard. Um, and so you got to tip your hat to coach and his staff and what they've been able to uh, kind of, you know, uh, overcome here. And in this first matchup, again, Georgia Tech, uh, a team that, you know, we've talked about, they're a very difficult team to match up with because they play that the multiple zone defensive look and it's hard to get in a rhythm. Another team that sends multiple guys back in transition. So they're going to put you in the half court um, and you're going to have to somehow find a way to execute against these, you know, tandem two threes, the one, three, one, um, you know, some of their switching defenses where they'll switch defenses and within a possession. Um, and so Louisville does have their work cut out for them in that first game. Um, and it, again, on this first day, all three of these matchups are really too close to call uh, as it relates to, you know, who could win any of these six teams, um, you know, could advance to the second round. Yeah, that, that game's going to be interesting. Georgia Tech has two, uh, Mike DeVoe, Jordan Usher. Uh, DeVoe's a, a big-time shot maker. He's been there. Usher's a, a hustle guy. Um, the, the thing that Louisville has going for it, they're kind of limping into this as well, like NC State is. Um, but they have a ton of – they have a lot of talent on the roster. I mean, their talent is as good as anybody in the league right now on that roster. Um, so they, they, they are in a position to possibly – you know, they're going to have to string some things together. Some things could possibly – go right but you know if they play uh with a purpose and they play invigorated basketball uh for their coach or whatnot they could go on a little run here as well because like i said the one thing that louisville has they have they, they have talent they have guard play they have talent they have bigs they have wings they have athleticism um you know they they, they do have that so uh it'll be interesting to see how louisville comes out and plays um you know if they're able to take care of business like they should against georgia tech yeah no they do have a lot of talent jamie i I totally agree with you there. Now the winner of that game is going to play Virginia, a team that we spoke very, very highly of um, in the preseason. Um, 
what do you guys think about that matchup? Uh, Virginia lost some games early in non-conference, but have played much better in conference. Um, do they got a shot at winning the tournament? What do you guys think? What Virginia has is, is and it goes back to it again. Scott said it time and time again before the season, during this podcast, they have tough-minded guards who have been there before, um, especially Kihei Clark. Um, he's won a national championship. Um, he, he wants the ball in his hands, game winners, um, all that type of stuff. He's got that, that fierce nature to his game um, as well, where the, the sum of the parts are, are the sum is better possibly than the uh, actual parts um, that are there. Also, Reese Beekman, he's had an unbelievable year. He's taken a huge step forward this season, um, just as we were expecting him to with his athleticism, with his ability to defend and guard the ball. He's also another guy who can handle it, create some offense and everything also. Um, can they make shots is going to be the question. Obviously, with the pace that they play at, are they going to be able to make shots? I think they did a good job figuring uh, Jaden Gardner out because there were some questions there with him as a four-slash-five man who wasn't necessarily able to shoot the ball, also not necessarily able to switch on defense and protect the rim and do all that type of stuff, so how they're going to use them. I think they did a very good job of figuring that out. Um, and also, Caden Shedrick's taking a big step forward, um, the big man in the middle. Um, they've done a pretty good job of figuring yeah. out between Kafaro and Shedrick. Um, you know, the rim protection piece of things, they've both taken steps forward as well. They're about seven players deep. Um, I'm sitting here looking at their, their three-point percentages. They don't have anybody over 40% from three. Um, but what they do have is Kihei Clark. Kihei Clark is somebody that I want on my team during tournament time. This is tournament time, um, and, and you, you get the combination of Kihei and Tony Bennett, and that's a, that's a possible winning combination. Yeah, without question. I think early on, um, and maybe we didn't emphasize enough, um, you know, on this early on when we talked about Virginia is, you know, again, we talked about losing those three front court players last year, uh, all to the NBA. Um, you know, they lost, uh, you know, Casey Moore, so they lost some other guys. So this was a team that was a work in progress. And I think what Coach Bennett and his staff have done this year with this team is remarkable. Um, I think it's one of his best coaching jobs in my mind. And here's why. When you have a team like this that has its and, and his system is so predicated on, um, you know, their defensive pressure, um, their one pass away positioning in the gaps, um, their rotations, um, you know, whether they're doubling the post and they're eyeing up on the backside. There's so much that goes into that philosophy that it takes time. Right. I mean, this is a team that was, you know, early on, as you mentioned, um, you know, was a work in progress. And they have gotten better and better and better. Obviously, Cedric has really uh, come on here. Um, you mentioned that before the season, Jamie. He's had a you know latter part of this season. He's been phenomenal. Um, and again, when you have clock out on the court, um, you know I think Gardner, who's leading them in scoring, is is, is really coming on. He's been efficient. Um, in, in, in a lot of games when he's on and he's doing what he can do on both ends, um, you know, they're another, they're, a, you know, they're a different type of team. Beekman the last few games has been really, really good offensively. Um, so I think in all, I mean, this is a team that is very, very capable. Um, they have gotten better. I mean, even I, I mentioned Franklin too. Franklin's second in the league, uh, team in scoring. He's been playing better. So I think we kind of maybe overlooked the fact that it was going to take Virginia a little bit more time um, to get familiar with that, you know, uh, pack 
back line, as well as, you know, uh, you know, their mover blocker uh, offense. Um, and it takes time to get that all down. And I got to tell you guys, I think Virginia is a dangerous team in the ACC tournament. Uh, you know, with their culture, as you mentioned, with Coach Bennett and his staff there, um, PA Clark, as you mentioned, Jamie, he's been there, done that. He's won a national title. This team is not going to be an easy out, um, especially knowing that they're going to have to probably get to the semis uh, to, to get in position here to get an NCAA tournament berth. So uh, look for Virginia to to be really primed and ready to go here in the ACC tournament. I expect a big effort out of them in this tournament. Yeah, they, they have a lot of key ingredients in place, Scott. As we said, they can defend the point of attack. They can protect the rim. They can touch the paint. And their coach does a great job with out-of-bounds plays, you know, the, the stuff they control. If they can make shots, this, this, this is a very dangerous team, like you said. All right, for our first second-round matchup, um, the only solidified matchup we have, 8-9 uh, game, Florida State versus Syracuse. Um, who do you guys like in this game? Well, I think Syracuse uh, coming off a heartbreaking loss yesterday at home where they had a big lead the last minute and a half of the game and just didn't finish it off um, is always dangerous come tournament time. And I'm going to tell you why. All the years I've been watching Syracuse, especially my years in the ACC, that two, three zone in a conference tournament or an NCAA tournament setting, um, you know, is not an easy zone to crack. And, and obviously this year, um, they, you know, they are injury depleted a little bit. Um, it's not the two, three zone that we've seen in the past, but it's still Syracuse's two, three, and you're going to have to make shots. And that is not an easy feat to do um, on a neutral court in a conference tournament. Uh, and or in an NCAA tournament uh, game. So, um, again, you can never discount Syracuse um, from winning no matter who's hurt, um, you know, who's playing for them. To me, I think, you know, arguably um, another young man, I think he was going to be special, um, you know, is, is, is Beheim. Anytime you have a player like Buddy Beheim, um, you know, who's had a tremendous year this year, um, he's really developed and put himself in a position where I believe he's going to play for a long time uh, at the next level. And, you know, we all know him to be a tremendous three point shooter with deep range, but slowly uh, and over his time, he's become someone, um, you know, that can go perimeter to post, take you down to that mid range area. He's got floaters over either shoulder fadeaways. Um, obviously he can finish around the basket with his pivot series so um you know Syracuse does have a prime time player um in Buddy Beheim, and he can obviously lead to be the catalyst for Syracuse to not only win that game but to advance if Florida State wins it's because they create offense through their defense we just saw uh Syracuse lose a heartbreaker against Miami where the game you know pretty much was uh looked like it was in hand in the last minute and 45 seconds or so, um, uh, Miami extended their defense and created some steals. Um, and that was the difference uh, in the game. And then they obviously uh, rebounded a missed free throw uh, there late in the game. So um, I think if Florida State sees that, um, they're probably going to look to extend their pressure, which is what Florida State likes to do anyways. Um, and I think if they turn up the heat on Syracuse and they press them throughout the game, and they can create some offense for their through the, uh, through their defense. 
I think Florida State will move on. If Syracuse can get them in the half court uh, and make them play against that 2-3 zone, uh, I think Syracuse moves on. I think that's basically as, it's, it's as simple as that for me. Yeah, Scott, I think you hit the nail on the head. Syracuse has one of the few people in the ACC who can actually carry a team. Uh, Buddy Bayheim, as we saw last year, uh, can get hot at the right time, and he can carry a team through a tournament. Um, the question is going to be with Syracuse is, can the other guys step up enough? Um, Jimmy Bayheim's had a solid year. Cole Swider's been very up and down. Um, Joe Girard, solid player. Uh, Syracuse not having Jesse Edwards is obviously going to be a big blow. Uh, he made huge steps this season rim protection and all that, um, you know, so him not being there going to be a big blow um, to what they have. But, again, Buddy Bayham, Florida State, they're, they're running a little bit hot right now. They've won their last three games coming in. Uh, a unique part about Florida State's team is they have 12 guys who are averaging over 10 minutes per game uh, this season. Um, they're coming back at full health now. Caleb Mills has come back. Um, you know, they have uh, Malik Osborne's back playing uh, solid as well, too. So can they make enough shots? Uh, to get them there. Um, four guys over 10 points per game. Um, you know, they have the big uh, uh, Tenor, Gom, uh, John Butler uh, protecting the rim. Uh, you know, uh, Raekwon Evans has had a great year making big plays for him uh, from the guard position. Um, and then the depth is just there uh, for the team that they have. They can have guys come in and out. Nobody on their team other than John Butler shooting over 40% from three. So that's going to be a big question mark. Can they make enough shots? Um, and and what the big question I've always had this whole year, and I think why they're inconsistent with uh, Florida State is their point guard play. Um, can they have somebody that creates for others and, and creates opportunities for the team? Um, they've managed to get by with their depth and everything of being able to do that. That could be what kind of stalls them possibly in the in the playoffs coming up. I don't necessarily see them having a problem getting by Syracuse unless Buddy Bayheim just goes crazy. Um, but once they get past that first game into the second and third game, I think the point guard play is going to be kind of what what possibly stalls them within the tournament play. All right, guys, to close us out, uh, let's take a look at the bracket as a whole. We've talked about the first round matchups. We've talked about potential second round matchups. Um, what do you who do you guys who are you taking to win the whole thing? What's your final four look like um, looking at the bracket as a whole? Uh, as we know, the top four seeds get a buy, double buy, excuse me, to the quarterfinal round. That would be Duke, the number one seed, Miami, the number four seed. So they're on the same side. Uh, Notre Dame, number two, and North Carolina, number three. Um, but looking at the matchups, um, again, those first day games are too close to call. Um, the second round matchup we just talked about, second, uh, second round matchup, first game, Florida State, Syracuse, uh, that could go either way also. But looking ahead, um, to me, the top of the bracket, uh, I believe Duke uh, to be a team that is going to advance. Um, I think Duke at the end of the year was playing their best basketball. A lot of emotion last night for whatever reason. Um, you know, they didn't defend like they normally uh, do this time of year. I look for Duke to be primed and ready in the conference tournament. Um, and then I'm going to look for that top bracket. You know, again, I think for a sleeper team, you know, if you're looking at somebody that possibly could advance, um, you know, I think that the, the, that matchup of Wake Forest and Miami, um, you know, could potentially lead to a, um, you know, a Wake Forest or a Miami winning that game, which would then be the final four would be Duke, either Miami and Wake um, in that semifinal matchup. 
uh, the bottom bracket to me. Um, I think there's two sleeper teams down there, and I think everybody needs to keep their eye on both of them. I think Virginia Tech and Virginia are both going to be dangerous, hungry teams in this tournament. I look for both of them to potentially advance to the semis, if not one of the two, either Virginia or Virginia Tech, to get to that semifinal. Um, and I look for one of those two teams to advance to the championship. That's what I'm calling as my upset special uh, is Virginia Tech or Virginia to advance uh, to either the semifinal game where they both play one another or one of those two team, two teams make it and they advance to the championship against Duke. Uh, ultimately, I think Duke has too much. And I think Duke is the ACC 2021-22 conference champion. So for me, uh, starting, I guess, in the same spot, I agree with you. I think Duke takes out Florida State in that game. Um, I got Wake Forest beating Miami, uh, advancing to the Final Four. Uh, down at the bottom, I think North Carolina moves ahead. They're just playing really hot right now. Um, and my upset special, I have Clemson moving to the Final Four. Um, I, I really like the way that Clemson's playing right now. Um, I like their shot making. I like the way that they defend. Um, I, I think they have uh, favorable matchups, uh, being able to start with um, NC State, then Virginia Tech, and then Notre Dame. I think Clemson can, uh, will, 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 in close matchups, take all of them, play against North Carolina in the Final Four. The Final Four matchups, Duke, Wake Forest. I have Wake Forest beating Duke to advance to the uh, finals, and then I have UNC beating Clemson, and then UNC winning it all um, as the ACC champions. You know, speaking uh, from the coaching side of this, and I think you guys will attest to this too, so much of these uh, conference tournaments, uh, so much of these uh, NCAA tournament games are about matchups, right? And, you know, if you look ahead, you know, the one thing that I think a lot of times the you know so-called experts uh, you can't figure out is not only the matchup, but what's going to give in that particular game. But the other side of it is the emotional uh, side of it, you know, who is um, playing loose, having fun, um, and who's the more hungry team. Um, a lot of oftentimes it's hard to kind of decipher that. So that's another intangible that you really can't judge um, in these conference tournaments slash NCA tournaments, which makes it so much fun because you're going to have upsets along the way. So uh, again, you have it uh, repeating. My final four in the ACC conference tournament, I'm going to pick Duke versus either Wake or Miami. I'm going to say, um, you know, just to kind of throw a wrench into it, I, I'm going to the sleeper team that we took this year. I'm going to say Miami Duke in that semifinal game. And then I'm going to say uh, Virginia versus Virginia Tech in the other semifinal game. Um, and then I'm going to say Duke plays uh, Virginia uh, in the finals. And I think uh, Duke wins. Scott, I want to ask you a question. What, what are your thoughts about the ACC tournament being played in Brooklyn? Well, you know, when I was coaching at Maryland, Jamie, there seemed to be a lot of, um, you know, people who were upset at the fact that the, the tournament um, was always played, for the most part, I said always, uh, you know, good uh, many years or many years in a row down in the Carolinas. And I think, you know, uh, the Maryland people or the Maryland fan base wanted that tournament to be played uh, at some different places. You know, look, I, I think playing at these different venues really helps the, the conference as a whole mm -hmm. because of the visibility, um, you know, for recruiting purposes. 
when you start thinking about playing in these different areas, we all know your area down there, Jamie, in the North uh, the Carolinas, um, you know, that 95 corridor is ACC country, right? But then you start getting into Neoc, which traditionally has been the Big East uh, area, and, you know, you're playing in Brooklyn, um, you're attracting a whole nother audience to the ACC, the caliber of the league. Um, my opinion is that uh, I think there's way too much uh, emphasis on these non-conference, uh, you know, the, or these interconference battles in the, in the non-conference, like ACC Big Ten Challenge, um, or if a team gets upset in a guarantee game, an ACC game. Um, I don't think the ACC is as down as people think it is. This is just my opinion. Uh, as a coach, you're always telling your team, it's not necessarily all about, hey, guys, we want to win this game. We got to win this game. It's all about getting better. And I think what you're going to see this year come the NCAA tournament, you're going to see some ACC teams that have gotten better. So we're going to see how um, and it's really early because the season's not over to say the ACC's down, in my opinion, yet. But we're going to see uh, what happens once the uh, selection Sunday. Uh, and I think we're in for a heck of an ACC conference tournament here um, in Brooklyn, where, uh, again, you know, I expect there to be some upsets. Yeah, I, I agree with you, too. And I, I think um, the ACC is down at the top. They don't have as many top 25 teams. I think maybe one top 25 team right now currently. But in that 25 to 60 range, which is where a lot of the tournament is picked from, I think that's where they probably have six six or so teams that fall into that range. Um, so I think there could be um, a lot more. I mean, people are talking about like four teams or whatever for the ACC right now. I think that you could see upwards of six possibly, depending on how these runs go um, in this tournament. And if these teams do – you know, if you have the Virginias of the world, if you have the Virginia Techs of the world, uh, these people making runs, Wake Forest making runs, and that just throws a wrench into what it is the, uh, you know, the, the committee is able to do. Um, but to reiterate again what I said with my picks, I have Duke beating Florida State. I'll have uh, Wake Forest getting it over Miami. Miami's beat them twice this year. As you know, it's hard to beat somebody three times in a season. I have Wake Forest beating them. Um, I have Clemson beating Notre Dame. Uh, which is the big uh, big upset there. And then North Carolina taking care of um, Virginia in that one. Um, and then I have North Carolina beating Clemson to advance to the finals. I have Duke beating – or I have Wake Forest beating Duke to advance to the finals. And then a Wake Forest-UNC finals, I have UNC winning in a very close nail-biting fashion. Well, you guys have been incredibly accurate throughout the season with your – Who do you have winning it, Jason? <laughs> I mean, if I'm if I'm being real, I'm taking Duke. Okay, that's good. Top to bottom, they have the most talent. I think Paulo Banchero, it's takeover time. And I think they got a, a good storyline to play for here with Coach K. So that's who I'm going with. Boring with the number one seed, but that's where I'm putting my money if I had to bet. Well, that does it for us today. We're aiming for next Sunday to do another bracket show. I know Jamie is working exhaustively for on three. Um, and I know Coach has a ton of media obligations on a bunch of different platforms, but we're aiming for Sunday to do another recap, uh, bracket recap. Um, so stay tuned for that. Like and follow us on social media. Share, download, tell your friends about us. Trying to get the word out. Thank you very much for listening. Have a good day. Thank you for listening to Believe. 
You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.